Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Daily Objective. And uh, today is going to be an interesting show, you know, unlike most other shows. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, uh, we got uh, coming up at the end of this hour, at the bottom of this hour, at 7 p.m. UK time, 11 a.m. Pacific time. A pretty cool event. Uh, doesn't get much better than this, folks. Uh, the, kids, the kids won't stop talking about this. It's a debate slash discussion between Andrew Bernstein and Harry Binswanger. So you know how debates work around here. The goal is not really to win. The goal, it turns into sort of a, an exploration, kind of a team effort to figure out where do we disagree and what is the truth. So it's, uh, hey, there's something there for everyone. There's just a little bit of blood, uh, you know, to satisfy your, your base desires, but also a lot of food for thought, a lot of opportunities to gain a clearer understanding. So in preparation for that, what we're doing here uh, for the Daily Objective is, in a sense, sort of like a pregame, you know? Um, not so much like we're going to discuss the two, um, the two debaters, like two boxers, like which one is likely to win. I don't think it's going to turn into that. I think it's more um, um, talking about how to respectfully disagree. Now, when it comes to respectful disagreement, this is personally not one of my uh, gifts, it's not one of my natural gifts. You know, God, God told me this is something you're going to have to work on. Um, and if you're before you comment in the chat, oh, they, there's no God. There's no such thing as God. That was a test. That was an opportunity for you to respectfully disagree. Uh, but I think I think it's it's fair to say I think we can say the Ayn Rand Center UK does not believe in God. That is sort of a that is sort of a, a thing that. Um, it's part of the philosophy, but that's going to sort of probably tie into some of the other stuff we're going to end up talking about, because I think in addition to respectful disagreement, we might actually get to the actual content of what's going to be debated. So as you may know, Andrew Bernstein wrote an essay called The Religious Right or Religious Conservatives Are Much Less Evil Than the Left. I think that's the title of it, more or less. And uh, not everybody exactly sees it that way. It's not that it's necessary. It's not that. OK, so I'm speaking for myself here. It's not necessarily that the left is less evil than the religious right, but it's maybe, as I've pointed out, the, the religious right is more likely to succeed. And so we'd better be scared of them. Uh, certainly, we should not see them as allies, but it's a difficult topic to um, to approach. And uh, Andrew Bernstein is certainly not a pushover. I would, you know, he's not a, a lightweight. I would, I'm glad I'm not the one uh, attempting to debate him. So uh, it's going to be a, it's a, it's going to be a fair fight. It's going to be a productive discussion more than a fight. And I'm looking forward to it. So let's talk about respectful disagreement. Uh, you know, you, some of you folks who watch the show live in the chat room often disagree with me. Um, I often disagree with various people that I approach and I guess the question I need to ask myself is, what is my goal here in expressing disagreement? Is my goal to change this person's mind? Is my goal to overcome our, like to kind of put aside our disagreement and look for uh, mutual value slash opportunities? Um, kind of what, it, what am I trying to do here? Maybe my goal, maybe what I'm trying to do is work on myself, work on not being such a trigger happy, triggered um, snowflake to use the language of the youth and, uh, practice accepting the fact that not everybody agrees with me. So you might want to ask yourself, what am I trying to accomplish here? 
by engaging with this person I disagree with. Um, and I think one way to um, sort of soften the, the issue is to show them some goodwill by saying something like, I've heard this said to say like, like, oh, like my, my brother sees it the same way or my good friend, my best friend agrees with you on this topic. But I, I, I don't see it that way. But yeah, my best friend sees it the same way. So that's a good way for you to kind of um, uh, show them your palms. You know, that's a uh, sort of a body language reference there. It's a it's said to be like an ancient prehistoric type of thing. You know, when you show somebody your palms and you obviously do this when you're unarmed, you, but showing them your vulnerable, soft palms, it's like telling them I I'm vulnerable. I'm not looking to hurt you. Um, so to, mentioning that somebody that you love agrees with your adversary is a good way to sort of soften it right off the bat. So let's bring on uh, our co-host here today. This is a guy who, you know, uh, we, I think we might actually not entirely see eye to eye on the very topic that um, the two professors are going to debate in an hour. And um, so we might, this might uh, turn into sort of a uh, non-professorial uh, version of this debate in a sense, because as, as the co-host and I are, we are in the professions. We are not, you know, career intellectuals. So it'll be uh, more of a street version of it, you know, kind of, uh, you know, we're, we're, like we're, we've got, you know, calloused hands, you know, calloused hands when, when we show our palms. So uh, the, the, the opponent knows it could come to blows, but I have no intention of doing that. Let's see how it goes. Uh, this is a guy who legend has it, used to wait tables, uh, pursuing his dream as an actor. And every time the ladies would tell him they wanted a Pellegrino, it boosted his confidence to the point where the popularity of Pellegrino sparkling water made him one of the most confident and successful actors out there today. Please welcome Mark Pellegrino. Wow. I don't know how to take that one, Rucka. <clears throat> but that was one of the better introductions. Thank you so much. So well, that's, I'm, I'm, that's how we set it up so, <laughs> so we can get along. I love being a second-hander. Um, that, that will uh, have resonance to our objectivist listeners. Now, so I, um, I, I think, it, one, I have sort of a reputation for being highly contentious on Twitter and for, not, and for being a little bit indelicate in, in, in the debate process. Um, that's my reputation. That doesn't necessarily reflect what I really am. That's just sort of the narrative that's out there. Uh, the, the actual story is I am very polite until you, you know, until you're not and, and until you're not for a while. And then then I start punching back. Um, but I, I think my my successes with with quote unquote debating online happen when I when I incorporate the old Stephen Covey maxim, seek first to understand and then be understood. If I, if I approach everyone as if, well, they're sort of like me, you know, they've, they've, they, they hold this truth, like I hold my truth. Uh, they've, they, maybe they've thought about it uh, as much as I've thought about my truth and, 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 they, and they think it's good. So rather than dismiss them, let me find out why it is <clears throat> they think this idea is good and even preferable to the, to the idea that I hold. And I find that eternal studenthood that seek first to understand um, makes disarms people automatically because you're you're automatically valuing their opinion by not questioning them in a socratic way to try to trap them but by trying to figure out what it is they really think and feel and wh what their process was 
to getting there. And I find that 98% of the time that approach really works um, to, to not only disarming conflict, but to actually sort of winning your point, if it should ever come up, if, if you should ever say, well, here, here's, here's what I think about the matter. Um, and why do you think I'm wrong? Right? You, you, you invest the other person with the same power and intellectual strength that you have, and you, you'll likely find somebody who's not defensive. Right? Yeah. Um, those, those are some great points there, Mark. Um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, the question keeps coming up. It's like, well, what is the point of engaging with them? Is it to change their mind or is it to kind of look past this disagreement and find like mutual value? So like, let's say you meet somebody, you know, maybe a potential romantic partner, maybe a potential new friend, maybe a potential new business associate. And you hear them say something, as we often will, that is very conventional, like the language of altruism. They say like, oh, yeah, I, have, I feel the sense of duty to, you know, to give back to the community or something like that. Or they just they, they say something else that that is not in line with your philosophy. You might ask, like, is now the time to challenge them on this? Like, yeah, there is sort of the agreeable way to be like, oh, what makes you feel that duty or what makes you say that? And that could kind of get them talking a bit more. Or maybe this first meeting is not the time to even bring it up. Maybe you could uh, focus on a, a different thing that they said and sort of uh, go down that route and sort of uh, come back to this topic another day. That's, there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's a, a lot of options on the table whenever you come across somebody that you disagree with. I feel, I feel like the, the problem is sort of like an acting problem. You can't really challenge somebody directly and expect to convince them 99 to 99, 99% of the time, that's the inappropriate way. Like in acting, you can't approach a scene like, I have to get here emotionally. I have to cry at, this, at, the, at the end of the scene. If you do that, you'll, you'll find yourself further away from that emotional life uh, than if you just immerse yourself in the problem and tried to figure out the problem. Um, then you'll find yourself in the in the scene becoming emotional and and likewise with the person you you may find yourself convincing them if you're immersing yourself in the problem so i wouldn't even make it about convincing them i would make it always about your own edification and your own edification is a completely um, disarming way to 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 approach pretty much anybody who, who's gonna who's gonna be very invested their identity is going to be locked up in in their belief especially if it's politics because you know it's their ethics it's their value system it's the way they see the world and they those those things can't be easily challenged without pushback yeah um sort of being kind of focused on yourself kind of on um your own values it sort of uh makes you like it makes you seem less threatening i think or it should like um if your primary focus is not on what's wrong with the people around you or the person you met your primary focus is on what you do agree with what you do care about it's attractive and it doesn't, it makes a person more likely to kind of want to learn more about you rather than, um, rather than them seeing you as the enemy. So uh, take the benevolent a, a route. I, I, yeah, like, always I, about I your, say, and I try to practice. Always about your own edification. And, and then I don't think you can go wrong. And I say this yeah. from, from experience, from, you know, battering people over the head to try to change them and, and seeing that most of the time that results in, just bitter feelings and hostility. I yeah, and uh, I've, I've uh, you know I've I've used a lot of sarcasm here today. I think when I've said I'm great at 
that respectful disagreement. Actually, no, I didn't say that. I, I, point, I accurately mentioned that this is not one of my easy things, but I've gotten better at it. I've gotten better at not trying to push my beliefs on people. But it, um, in addition to sort of um, maturing or along with maturing, I think I've, I've realized that convincing somebody is not really the point or it's not entirely possible unless they're open to it. And the only way they'll really be open to it is if they sort of see you as having something they want. So kind of, I think the more, the more confidence you get in your beliefs, like the more you mature, the more it becomes an inductive method. That is you're, you're observing the world, you're living, you're gaining experience and that, you know, and your philosophy is comes from that experience so the the more that is your method the more confident you become versus the deductive approach if your ideas are sort of tied to one another and they're all happening up here in your mental space and now you need to kind of smash them down onto reality and anyone who disagrees is a threat to your beliefs you're obviously going to want to convince people and that is one of the uh, traits of a rationalist as leonard peikoff points out in his understanding objectivism course the rationalists love to debate. They love to, uh, like, they see disagreement as a threat against themselves. So, yes, we're, we're, we're getting ready to watch a debate here today. And um, we're, you know, we're obviously looking forward to that. But it's not so much, it is, like I mentioned earlier, to a positive end. It's to find clarity and, um, and, a, and greater, a greater bond between, uh, between us thinkers. How's that for some positivity? Yeah, you're right. And it's, it's really hard to hold that value. My primary, my primary goal is clarity. And if you hold your primary goal is clarity, then, then nobody's point of view can really be threatening to you. Because if their point of view is true, more true than yours, and you end up assimilating that into your, into your uh, idea set, um, you're better off. You always win from the perspective of, I just want to be more clear about what's true. So make it about your own, your own victory, uh, your own epistemological victory, and you can't go wrong. Yeah, and uh, one of the benefits to engaging with people is that it sort of gives you uh, a deeper insight into the sort of human condition. You learn more about people in general by getting to know just one person. You're, you're kind of learning about this person. So, you know, as an artist, you know, obviously at year, you know, you're an actor. I mean, you, you know, getting to know people has a very direct benefit to being able to channel certain things in your craft. If somebody's a, you know, an, an accountant, maybe it's a little bit less direct how that benefits them. But I think it does. If, if you sort of trace it, if you sort of follow the, uh, the causes, it, it does benefit them to get to know people. Whether it's professionally with the people they deal with or in their relationships or just getting to know themselves. There is a benefit um, to getting to know human beings. So, so that's part of it too. You know, look at the person as a potential value. You, like look at them and see dollar signs, huh? That's nice. Look at a person who disagrees with you and think this is how I make my money uh, ultimately um, by getting to know this person rather than defeating them and winning the debate. So um, it's all about those dollars and cents. In the chat room, uh, we got some nice people. Some agree, some disagree. Uh, one person called me a liar. It's uh, you know, it's all about you know, it's all about um, fleshing out those differences and arriving at truth. Thank you, Ed, for the super chat, and thank you, Mary Aline. 
our super chat queen. That rhymed. Um, yeah. Hey, in so, the few minutes we have left, we we have to we have to. Your your mm -hmm. team Binswanger. I'm team uh, Bernstein. It seems like so. Uh, we we should yeah. we should get our our four minute version of uh, of that debate out 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 here. Yeah. I'm so I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, Dr. Binswanger says. I'm sure I'll learn something. And but I'm I think going into this, I'm in, I'm in his corner. Um, it's not so so like I mentioned earlier. It's not so much that the left is less evil. I think. Ultimately, if the left running amok, the left, the left left, you know, with, to their own devices with power would do something probably <clears throat> that makes Cambodia uh, seem benevolent and soft by comparison. But the right, the conservative right is more likely to succeed. And we've seen conservatives increasingly over the last few years turn towards tribalism and at first, I thought, and many people thought, oh, Trump is getting religion out of the Republican Party, so at least there's that. But uh, in observing the alt-right and all these new right factions, they're not, they're not um, hostile to religion at all, and they often see religion as a useful asset. But this time, their religion is not grounded in the founding principles of America. It's not founded in the Enlightenment. It's not founded in Thomas Jefferson's writings. It is very much... Uh, you know, very, um, they're very cynical in using religion and it, um, it, it is not linked with individual rights at all. So it's like the worst of religion, um, being married to this ugly type of sneering tribalism. That's what I'm seeing emerge on the right. Um, so, you know, it's not so much a question of like who to vote for in the next election. It's more a question of as objective, as an objectivist, who do you see as an ally? And I would say, not conservatives now and you say well yeah but i don't think that was the i don't think that was the issue under debate right i certainly don't see the conservatives as an ally to liberty or or even aligned with objectivists uh, at all um i think we're we're a voice is crying in the wilderness right now but the actual the question i think that's under debate is is the right less evil than the left and bernstein says yes and i would say yes and you would say no, apparently. Um, and the reason I would the reason I would say they are less evil if 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 we're on that spectrum, is because by chance conservatism happens to be uh, pr primarily a, a, a an upholder of tradition, and it just so happens that the American tradition is not aristocracy or monarchy or some old world order; it's liberalism. And so, it, to that it, to that degree most conservatives or people on the right would ally themselves with uh, a type of constitutional uh, perspective uh, with liberty as at the a, a liberty forward sort of uh, idea, separation of powers and deconcentration of powers, which I think is much more healthy politically. And, uh, and even though they are, many of them focus on religion and have taken the, the old notion that uh, Protestantism and religion is the source of capitalism and liberty and right, which I think in the end is self-defeating. It's still linked with capitalism, individualism and right, as opposed to the left, which is a complete repudiation of all of that stuff, including logic. So um, the, the right doesn't reject logic. Some of, the, some, uh, some of the pundits, I think, the more religious they are, of course, the more grounded they are in mysticism, the less apt they are to think that Logic is applicable to moral affairs, but they still they still apply logic in 
our worldly affairs. Some some conservatives on the on the right are are extremely perceptive witnesses to the phenomenon that's going on in the world today. And I don't see any of that on the left. I see a complete repudiation of reason, a complete repudiation of what it is to be American and, and, and a, uh, a misintegration of just about every historical phenomenon to create a particular narrative. And, and, and they have academic power, power within the punditry, power within every single information outlet there is, and, um, and now political power. And they, they are determining the, the hyper-tribalism that's now starting to rise up on the right. That's, be, that's in reaction to the left tribalism. So, so to me, the right, I know that most objectivists don't believe this. I think the right is just reactionary and somewhat meaningless, to be honest with you. The more they ally themselves with mysticism, the more Prager says the enlightenment and individualism is what's killing the, the world. Uh, the more he won't be taken seriously at all. The left has the veneer of silent, uh, science and the idea that this ascendant rationalism and skepticism is actually sophisticated. So that's dangerous. Yes, uh, those are some great points. And uh, as you're speaking and I can see my reflection in our call, like I see myself nodding a lot. And that's a habit I have when, when somebody's talking. I often, as I'm listening, I'm nodding. So I'm glad I have that here today. It's, it's probably an asset to uh, this uh, respectful disagreement exercise we're, we're doing. Um, no, those are some great points. Uh, I don't know that I disagree. So it's, it's kind of like, it's not so much that we disagree. It's that we're maybe we're focused on different aspects or we're conceptualizing things a little differently. So the left, like I mentioned, the actual egalitarian nihilistic left, they are <laughs> out to destroy anything that is seen as privilege. Anyone that is, you know, seems to have any advantage needs to be reduced. And that, like I said, left in power would lead to something that makes Cambodia seem, um, soft by comparison but we it depends what we mean by the left so are the folks working in silicon valley the left they definitely lean left a lot of them and i think like you mentioned science is certainly is currently seen as a as affiliated with left-leaning thought the conservatives have they make little effort to uh fight for that um you know i mean it's like it, it's so complicated i know it's like you say yeah, you say the, the conservatives use logic, yes, but they also kind of use those logical arguments to say that you need God or, because science alone is just, you know, leads you to endless skepticism. It's, it's very... Um, it's, it's certainly very better. Don't you think that's certainly better than rejecting logic entirely as a product of a, a, a power, a power dominance oppression structure? Well, certainly, if, if, that's, if that's what we mean by the left, it's people who explicitly reject logic and they say that logic and individualism are the language of white supremacy. Those guys are definitely the worst. But is it right to group that together with, you know, um, Twitter from Twitter Jack who just banned Trump? Is he, is he a messenger of the left in you know, in um, what doing what they call censoring conservatives. Like we need to be careful in uh, how we group people together. I think there's a lot of people, these sort of like the Joe Rogan type people of the world. They're sort of, they're kind of like centrist, left-leaning here, a little right-leaning there, sort of pragmatist in a certain respect. It's, 
we, we, we want to be careful, I think, in, uh, in, in, in how we conceptualize the left. It becomes very difficult, and also in how we evaluate them. So a lot of people who are sort of seen as left-leaning, they do care about science, and they do respect logic, and they do see themselves as in some way uh, carrying forward the Enlightenment, even if they don't use that word. Whereas uh, a lot of religious people, when push comes to shove, when religion comes into conflict with science, they go with the former. So it's, it's complicated is my sort of take on things, which I know it does not exactly satisfy very many people and doesn't really lend itself to a, you know, a debate. Um, well, the, more, the more deeply skepticism permeates our culture, the more elites in science become a unofficial priesthood. And I see lots of people on the left investing uh, the, the belief in the authority of scientists, not in science itself, and then conflating that with the concept of science. So just because a scientist says it doesn't mean it's so. You still have to use your mind uh, and, and, uh, and check, check their premises too. So, so my- when, when you say conservatives are not going to, they're insignificant when they kind of reject science. So they're sort of insignificant and not. But so does the left. So does the left. And the left has academic power and the left is instituting a rejection of science in certain areas like biological sciences, uh, philosophical sciences. They're, they're rejecting these, uh, and making them a part of curriculum. The 1619 Project is a rejection of history as a science, and it's the advancement of a narrative that is patently wrong, about 99% wrong, but it is becoming curricula in a lot of a lot of states today, despite the fact that it's been widely disproven. And the Pulitzer Prize will not be withdrawn from it. It, it, has, it has social prominence, despite the fact that it's utterly wrong. And most people just, most people, I think, just presume the religious right is out of their minds, <laughs> but they don't presume that these academics um, who, are, who are perpetuating these in- insane notions and narratives, they don't presume that they're crazy too, that they're out of their minds, but they are. So what, what do we do? Um, you think objectivists are too hostile to, to religion? Is that kind yeah. of where, how you see it? Think, what would think, you have them do? Differently? I think, I think they, they, they focus their sights on religious conservatives as the enemy and they need to be focusing their sights on skeptics. It's the skeptics who are the real, who are the real killers. They're the killers of your mind, of your confidence in reality, of your confidence in your own mind. And, and they're trying to substitute your own, your conclusions and your connection with reality uh, with their own narratives, uh, their own meta narratives, which they're apparently all supposedly against. So, I mean, I would try to resist it. I would, I would try to resist that with everything that I have, and 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 be pro reality, pro reason, pro certainty, um, as opposed to what the right offers, which is well, instead of this rampant skepticism, which just causes chaos, you know, unify your unify your epistemology under this belief in God. No. Unify it in knowing that your mind is capable of uh, sensing reality, integrating reality, knowing what's real and what isn't real, and determining based on on that stuff. So, I don't disagree. I know that sounds like something I'm supposed to say when we're doing this episode, but I mean, I don't disagree. It's just that 
Okay. There's a, a few days ago, Yaron Brook had a sort of debate discussion with a, I think a Hasidic rabbi. I mean, he's an Orthodox rabbi. Um, and his particular school of Judaism uh, came off, comes off as very benevolent, kind of very, like you could almost call it like apologist. I, I, I was sensing like he wasn't, he wasn't out for blood. He was more kind of like redefining words like religion and redefining things in a way that tries to make it seem like there's no conflict between science and belief in God. And, um, and the, and when you hear people like that apologize for religion, but still saying we need religion, like you realize they may, they rely on skeptic arguments for there to be a place for God. And I think my, the more I <laughs> learn about Immanuel Kant, that's kind of what I understand to be that he, he wasn't anti reason he was just saying there's a we need a little bit of faith like over here and we need both and that's i think religious people they rely on skepticism to keep to stay in business and the more you engage with religious people the more you debate with them they make skeptic arguments they say oh reason how is reason you know are you sure have you met a perfectly rational person are you sure your concepts are valid uh can you Point me to an objective person. What about when you get angry? Do you, is it possible for you to be objective and rational with your crazy family member? So all these things that skeptics uh, say, you, you sort of see how religious people are using that to stay in business. So I would also point out, we've seen the internet has given us an opportunity to see how these movements evolve like in front of our eyes. We've seen atheists call themselves skeptics and within a very short amount of time sometimes end up sort of warming up to religion, enter Jordan Peterson, enter, you know, others. They've sort of uh, cozied up to religion. They see how religion is necessary for most people and they're sort of blending skepticism and religion. So in a certain respect, in a certain respect, I kind of see religious people and skeptics as sort of not that different. They're sort of, uh, they could almost be the same person in a different phase of their development. So um, I agree with, I agree with you, but at least the religion, the people on, on the right are attempting to integrate into a, into a whole and the left is just trying to destroy and disintegrate everything. And, and look, just, just flat out who, who right now is standing between uh, our, our first amendment rights and their obliteration, but the religious right who are claiming religious liberties and using that as a means of protecting the first amendment. And who, who, are, who, are, the, who are the groups of people that the left tries to vilify when they, when they try to vilify the second amendment as being no longer necessary, but it's your guns and your God. Uh, you know, they try to link the idea of self-defense and uh, gun ownership with godliness as a way of, of conflating the two and, um, and invalidating uh, the second amendment. So as far as I'm concerned right now, uh, the, it's, it's the right that's attempting in some very weak way to, to stand for the, the principles of, of liberty and freedom and, and the constitutional government and the left that's trying to destroy those things. Well, thank you for a wonderful discussion. Uh, I'm, I've got a lot to think about based on our discussion. So thank you for that. We do need to wrap it up. Coming up at the bottom of this hour, the Olympics of evil. Does it matter who the winner is? That is the name of the debate. We got the Harry Binswanger and Andrew Bernstein. I'm looking forward. Thank you for the super chats. Thank you, Zalmi, for the super chat and LMH. 
uh, and Shona for the super chats. Save some of the super chats for the next uh, broadcast uh, to show uh, to support the debate upcoming and show the Ayn Rand Center UK that you want to see more stuff like that. Uh, Zami in the chat room asking, where is the Euron Brooks discussion with the rabbi? And then Hugh James answers him saying YouTube. And I will respectfully disagree with that, Hugh. I don't think you did your research when you when you answer that. It, it is you can find it on Facebook if you look it up. But uh, hopefully it will be mirrored on YouTube soon because it's a great discussion and uh, a bit of a uh, universe is colliding for people like Zalmi and myself. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're looking forward to the uh, uh, debate at the end of this hour. And we'll be back here for the Daily Objective tomorrow, same time. Thank you again, Mark. And adios, amigo.